everyone, welcome to 2021, a year full of promise. We will have a new president. We have a COVID vaccine, which everyone will receive in due time. This means there's a light at the end of the tunnel from social isolation. And yes, I said isolation. Even if we're on Zooms all day looking at each other, we're still isolated. But things are looking up. I'm actually planning on getting on a plane in 2021. This year was a doozy for all of us, but I'm starting to feel on the other side of it. Grateful for the science that's bringing us a vaccine and better treatments for COVID. Grateful for the extra time I've had to spend with my kids. And hopeful that while we'll be changed forever, maybe we'll be changed a little bit for the better. And to start off 2021, I'm going to tell you about a new study, not just any study, a gene environment study, the kind I say are desperately needed. And the kicker? This publication was written by an ASF-funded undergraduate student. It was published in Nature. This is amazing. ASF could not be more proud of him. This was a great collaboration between UC Davis and UCLA with experts on both sides. UC Davis provided the animal model of ASD, maternal immune activation, and they used a non-human primate, which is the closest thing to a human besides a human itself. Why use a model system? Why, why not just look at postmortem brain tissue of people with autism? Well, because they wanted to examine the effects specifically of maternal immune activation on the genetics of the brain, and to get this specific, a model system is needed. They exposed the non-human primates to a maternal immune the workings of the RNA. They organized them into networks. They categorized them by the function of the gene they're transcribing, whether the gene activity goes up and down, and whether some of them go up or down together, which means they may be co-expressed. They found that genes in the hippocampus were the ones that were most affected by maternal immune activation. And they have to do with things like myelination, which is the insulation around cells, synaptic connectivity, which is how brain cells connect and how they stay connected, or even change connection, and transposable element biology. The last one is new, and I'll try to explain it without getting too detailed. This is a DNA sequence that can actually change the location in the chromosome. While RNA itself is not transposed, measuring RNA changes can detect them. They literally are like jumping beans, which can make mutations or even correct other mutations in the genome. Another interesting finding was that the gene with the largest changes controls methylation or epigenetics that's turning on or turning off activity of genes. This gene, called PIWIL2, interacts with RNA to turn genes on and off. All of this sounds exciting, but there is one small caveat. There's very little overlap between RNA findings in this study and those with actual people with schizophrenia or autism. Now, with schizophrenia, it may have to do with age, as I mentioned, the first psychotic episode doesn't happen until about age 30. However, while the genes themselves, the exact genes, do not overlap completely with human findings, their functions are the same as ASD. Synaptic formation, myelination, cell functioning. Some of the way the genes fell together when they were organized by how closely they were expressed with each other were significantly related to restrictive and repetitive behaviors seen in the animals. These non-human primates do not have autism. Autism is uniquely human. But this study provides important insights on how to understand gene-environment interactions in a model system, 
how the environment can modulate gene expression using a, an advanced model system. And so let's try this on a genetic mutant, like one that has a mutation of an autism gene, to see how environmental factors influence the transcription of genes. Congratulations to Nicholas Page from UCLA, who had an amazing summer experience that makes a huge contribution to autism science. Now, I obviously can't talk about how great 2021 will be without acknowledging how 2020 sucked for ASD families. The Simons Foundation, which funds millions of dollars in autism research every year, has a program called SPARK. If you have a child with autism or have autism yourself, go to sparkforautism.org. And if you happen to see a cute blonde five-year-old wearing a white dress, that's my Sarah. Anyway, in addition to collecting genetic information from families, they also ask questions of families to figure out how they can best help them. They did it for survey of their families about their needs right after the pandemic hit, like in mid-March, and then another one a month later in late April. You had to finish both surveys to be included. That narrowed it down to 3,500 responses of people whose services had changed. If you can believe this, 700 families were not getting services out of 4,300. Hello, there's a problem. That's how they ended up with the 3,500. So one question may be how well represented people in the survey are compared with the whole cohort. Well, of course, it wasn't perfect. People that took the time to do the survey were mostly moms, most likely to be white and non-Hispanic, and also make more than $100,000 a year. So while it isn't as diverse as one might like, you can't negate the feelings and the experiences of the people that finished the survey. So 80% lost some sort of service, be it special ed in school, speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and ABA. The most hard-hit group was the preschoolers by a couple of percentage points, but it was still significant. So when they re-examined them a month later, when telehealth was being implemented, telehealth was only being utilized or offered between 13 and 60% of the time. And that number varies depending on the age and the type of service. For example, preschoolers received the least amount of telehealth across the board. That 13% was medical services received by preschoolers. And that 60% was mental health services received by adolescents. From those that got telehealth, did they find it beneficial? 16% of preschool parents said that online special ed services worked for them. That's a pretty low number. But 68% of adults found online mental health teletherapy was helpful. Now, speaking of mental health, they didn't just look at the person with ASD. Three quarters of the parents said they experienced extreme or moderate stress. But again, that also varied by age. Parents of preschool children reported the greatest amount of stress, followed by school age, then parents of adults. That does not negate any particular experience of any particular family and in any age range. There were certainly high levels of extreme and moderate stress in all groups. It's just that the parents of the preschool children reported a little bit more. The results are similar to what a recent publication asking similar questions to kids with a known genetic cause and a neurodevelopmental disorder found. So it's pretty consistent. The bottom line, telehealth for the most part and the way it's currently structured was not working. This does not mean it cannot work in the future. It does not mean that it's useless. It means that we need to figure out how to make it work better, more useful, more helpful, 
more family friendly. We need to take what works and focus on that because telehealth is here to stay even in 2021. Thanks for listening and happy new year.